You can compare what each gospel writer wrote about Jesus and his ministry in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January. It's titled, Jesus, A Study of the Words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Jesus, A Study on the Words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, costs fourteen ninety nine. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, Jesus, A Study on the Words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is acceptable to sacrifice human lives and give that away and even annihilate that in exchange for something as trivial as winning a Golden Globe. There's good religion and there's bad religion, and it's the New York Times and its editors who get to tell you which is which. They will accept the miracles of Jesus, and they'll accept the miracle of the Red Sea crossing and of the flood and Jonah and the whale and so forth, and reject the miracle of baptism. The Father is well pleased with the Son because the Son is putting himself in the position of mankind to save us. The Son is actually putting himself in the position of being all sinners. Hi, this is Joel from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Amateur homebrewers, when they're enjoying the fruits of their labor, listen to issues, etc. Cheers. The headline in a recent Washington Post story reads, Iran tensions could fulfill prophecies about the end of the world, some religious teachers say. The story goes on to talk to several religious teachers. They're hedging their bets, usually they do, but they're saying, well, maybe this dust-up in the Middle East, this latest one, might be one of the puzzle pieces in biblical prophecy. They're checking their Bibles, and of course, they're also checking their headlines as well. Is that how we should rightly understand biblical prophecy and current events? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Monday afternoon, January the 20th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll begin today's show talking with Dr. Christopher Mitchell about Bible prophecy and events in Iran. Then we're going to hear an encore presentation of Looking Forward to Sunday Morning according to the one-year lectionary. We'll be discussing Jesus healing a leper and the faith of a centurion in Matthew chapter 8. Our guest will be Pastor David Peterson. Joining us to talk about Bible prophecy and current events in Iran, Dr. Christopher Mitchell, editor of the Concordia Commentary series and author of the Concordia Commentary on Song of Songs. He has a PhD in Hebrew and Semitic studies from the University of Wisconsin. Chris, welcome back to Issues Etc. Thank you so much for having me. What is the difference between rightly expecting the return of Jesus, which is thoroughly encouraged in the Bible, and the kind of apocalyptic expectations of popular end times teachers? A first big difference is that the biblical view is much simpler, and much easier to understand. So the biblical view is that our Lord Jesus Christ has come at his first advent. We recently celebrated Christmas, the incarnation of Christ, the Son of God. He had some earlier parts of his ministry that are just touched on briefly in Scripture before the inauguration of his public ministry at his baptism, which we also just celebrated in the church year. He had his 
public ministry that lasted three or four Passovers, so probably three years. He suffered and died on the cross to atone for the sins of the whole world. He was buried, then raised on the third day on Easter Sunday. He then interacted again with his apostles and taught them some more before his ascension 40 days later. And then the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Ever since then, so basically the last 2,000 years, we've been living in the church age. This is actually the end times, the, the period of the end times that the New Testament talks about. There's some biblical books, for example, the Epistles of John, that state that we are already in the end times. So the church age is the end times, and during this church age, our calling by Jesus Christ is to preach his word, administer his sacraments, proclaim the forgiveness of sins in his name, and hope and wait and pray for him to return. We don't know when he will return, but it is always the earnest prayer of the church that he comes soon. The scriptures, the canon of the scriptures as a whole, ends with that prayer at the end of Revelation. So we pray, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Since we are baptized believers in Jesus Christ, we are ready for him to come. We have been given the forgiveness of sins. We have put on Christ. We are strengthened in faith through the word and sacraments. And that is what makes us prepared for Christ to return. We don't need anything else. So all that is relatively simple to understand compared to the popular end time scenarios that you often see or hear in the media, including some of these that you mentioned that have been published recently. The end time schemes that people have made up, or partially they've drawn them from the scriptures, but then they've made them more complicated, embellished them, added further qualifications and hoops that we have to jump through. Those are much more complicated, and there are all kinds of varieties of them. There are a lot of schemes that have to do with millennialism. There have been popular books ever since the, well, 1980s, actually long before that, about various scenarios, various historical developments that will have to happen first, according to these theories, before Christ comes again. And another complication is that there are competing theories about when exactly Jesus will come again during the end time scenario. So there are premillennial views where Jesus comes before a millennium here on earth. There is premillennial dispensationalism. There are also disagreements about 
the so-called rapture and a seven-year tribulation. Some postulate that Jesus will come at the start or at the middle or at the end. There are disagreements about when the supposed rapture would occur, which would take Christians out of this world so that we would avoid suffering. And some say, well, it might be at the start of the tribulation, the start of the seven years. Others say, well, no, it'll be in the middle or at the end of the seven years. And all of those schemes really take our eyes off of Christ because they offer some false promises. One would be the whole idea of a rapture that Christians would be taken out of the world to avoid suffering. You know, that's a false teaching. We are called to bear the cross of Christ, and it's up to God to decide what sort of sufferings we may have to endure, but we definitely do have to endure sufferings, and we can't hang on to a false hope that somehow God is going to spare us, because then when suffering does come our way, we might be tempted to think, oh, God has broken his promise, or maybe I'm not within the promise. Maybe I'm not truly a believer. Maybe God's promises don't apply to me, and so on. And all these schemes also take our eyes off the return of Christ, which will bring the church age to a close. They focus our eyes on newspapers and the internet instead of keeping our eyes on Christ in the scriptures. Why do so many Christians believe that they can watch biblical prophecy being fulfilled in real time by watching the news, in particular coming out of the Middle East? It has to do with a hermeneutic for reading the scriptures, and I can unpack that a little. So we do believe that as we conservative Christians, Missouri Synod Lutherans, we do take the Bible literally. We take it as historically accurate and as correct. It's the inspired, inerrant Word of God. At the same time, taking the Bible seriously means interpreting the different passages according to the intent of God the Holy Spirit who inspired them. So we have to be aware that Scripture contains many different genres. For example, there are parables, there is poetry, there are hymns, there are analogies, comparisons, there are visions. And so all these need to be interpreted according to the intent of God who inspired these different forms of literature in the Bible. What we have in the Old Testament, among many other things, are prophetic visions of the future that are not intended to give us a detailed timeline. Most of them, anyway, are not intended to give us a time frame referring to specific people and when these people are going to do this and that or when whenever countries are going to do this and that, they generally are somewhat hazy as to details. And the purpose of these prophecies is to strengthen our hope in Christ. A lot of the prophecies do involve judgment on people and nations because of their sins. 
And then they do also hold out the hope of salvation after judgment, having gone through judgment. And salvation can be pictured on a corporate scale. So for the corporate people of God, and not just individuals. So we have to understand what these biblical prophecies are intended to do. Now, it's true on the one hand that Scripture sometimes does give quite detailed factual predictions. For example, Micah prophesies that the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah remarkably predicts the coming of Cyrus several hundred years before he actually arrived, Cyrus the Persian, who let Israel return from exile. So scripture does have these remarkably precise prophecies, even with names. Scripture sometimes has time frames, such as the prophecy that the exile in Babylon would last 70 years. So occasionally we do get these sorts of things, but in general, the Old Testament does not give us a detailed time frame about what is going to happen when in the church age. Many Old Testament prophecies, I'm thinking, for example, of Joel chapter 2, kind of telescope everything together. So the first advent of Christ, the church age, and the second advent of Christ all follow in quick succession in the Old Testament promise. So you have basically seamless transitions between verses. You have, you know, a verse talking about the first advent. You have a, a verse talking about the outpouring of the Spirit. You have a verse talking about the sun refusing to shine and the end of the world all coming on quick succession, one after the other. And we now, living in the church age, we can recognize, oh, well, these refer to events that happened at vastly different times, you know, the incarnation of Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We're still waiting 2,000 years later for the return of Christ, but we're confident he will return. So basically the issue is how do you interpret Scripture? And even though all of us agree, yes, Scripture is true, and we interpret it literally, literally depends on the intent of the particular biblical author. There are some people who want to interpret Scripture, what I would say would be literalistically, I had a seminary professor whom I loved who would say it this way. Some people want to make metaphors walk on all fours. <laughs> so the idea that you take something that is intended to be figurative language and you try to make it literal, and that's where you run into problems. And that is the method by which a lot of these end-time teachers come up with their schemes. And we could get into some examples shortly, like Ezekiel 38 is a good example. Dr. Christopher Mitchell is our guest. We're talking about Bible prophecy and current events in Iran when we come back. Are either Iran or America, present day, mentioned in biblical prophecy? And we'll get into Ezekiel 38 and a couple of the other Bible passages cited in a recent Washington Post story. 
Iran tensions could fulfill prophecies about the end of the world, some religious teachers say. You can compare what each gospel writer wrote about Jesus and his ministry in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January. It's titled, Jesus, A Study of the Words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Jesus, A Study on the Words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, costs fourteen ninety nine. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, Jesus, a study on the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can meet and hear Mark and Molly Hemingway, Robert George, Albert Moeller, Brian Wolfmiller, Hans Feeney, and Will Whedon at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 12th, and Saturday, June 13th in Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 12th and 13th at Concordia University, Chicago. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Holy Cross, Evangelical Lutheran Church, Albany, Oregon, is a mid-Willamette Valley LCMS congregation where the liturgy lives and God's people worship as one with sound biblical doctrine, weekly communion, and a clear confession of Christ crucified for the sin of the world. Please join us at 2515 Queen Avenue Southeast, or visit our website at www.holycrosslutheranalbany.org. Do you need a home, car, wedding, or student loan in 2020? Check out Lutheran Federal Credit Union. During January, when you open a Lutheran FCU loan to meet your financial needs, or when you use your Lutheran FCU credit card for a qualifying amount of purchases, Lutheran FCU will give you cash back and give that same amount of money to their Ministry of the Month, LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Learn more at LutheranFCU.org. Lutheran FCU. Good for you. Good for the Church. LutheranFCU.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Christopher Mitchell of Concordia Publishing House is our guest. We're talking about Bible prophecy and current events in Iran. Dr. Mitchell, I guess this is kind of a simple yes or no question. Are present-day America or Iran either mentioned in biblical prophecy in any way? I definitely would say yes in this way. So first of all, you have in modern-day Iran and Iraq, a lot of cities with historical connections. So you have cities in which biblical events took place. If you look at a Bible atlas, you can see lots of them. You know, for example, Babylon, Ur, Nineveh, Assyria, well, Ashur being the city and then Assyria being a region. And you have great empires that were there, Assyria, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, 
And these empires played key roles in Old Testament history, uh, particularly in the judgments, the historical judgments that God executed on his people after they became unfaithful, after they lapsed into idolatry. The basic idea is that God used these pagans for his own good purposes. So God can even use evil to bring about a greater good. God used these countries to bring his people to repentance. Assyria was the empire that conquered northern Israel, the northern part of the divided kingdom. Babylon was the empire that conquered Judah and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the Solomonic Temple, and caused the Babylonian exile. But these were examples of God's alien work. So when we lapse into sin and unbelief, God uses judgments, suffering, and so on as his alien work. That term comes from Isaiah, by the way, to bring us to repentance, to sorrow for our sins. So the law then prepares for the gospel, and then having been brought to repentance or contrition over our sins, we are spiritually ready to hear the gospel, the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ, and then believe and have life in his name. So this is the same pattern that happened over and over in the Old Testament era. And you also have other remarkable things regarding historical locations. For example, Nineveh, uh, you have the prophet Jonah who was sent to the town of Nineveh in, I think that it's near the border of Iran and Iraq. Recently, Islamic State actually blew up the tomb of Jonah, which was still there in Nineveh. So like 2,500 plus years after Jonah ministered there. So that's just a modern connection with the historical events that happened there. The Islamic State did not like that this tomb of Jonah had become a site for pilgrimage and perhaps worship. So you definitely have locations and peoples in Iran and Iraq who figured prominently in Old Testament history. And then also regarding the U.S., we would be included in many of the biblical prophecies about the Gentiles and the coastlands. For example, Isaiah prophesies how the good news of the coming Savior, the suffering servant, will go out and even people in the coastlands will believe. So that represents people far away, people who you couldn't get to their countries unless you took ships there. And now the U.S. is not specifically named in biblical prophecies, but we as Gentiles who are far away from the Holy Land, we are included in those gospel promises about 
even people far away who currently would be Gentile unbelievers, they will be brought to faith in the one true God of Israel. The Washington Post piece mentions several Bible passages that some religious teachers think apply to the end times in certain ways. Let's take them one at a time. Ezekiel 38, you mentioned before. What is the proper interpretation of this chapter? Yeah, that's a great passage. And I would say, first of all, we need to look at the entire book of Ezekiel to understand the role of this particular prophecy. So Ezekiel as a whole is a clear book of law and gospel. So basically the first half of it through chapter 24 is condemnation of Israel's sins and the idolatry they had lapsed into. And then the second half of the book is basically gospel, the promise of redemption. And there are specific prophecies about the new David, the one shepherd who will come. The first part of the gospel half, the second half, consists of oracles against nations. And you might ask, well, why is that gospel? <laughs> Prophecies of judgment against pagan nations, that sounds like more law. And it would be for the unbelievers. But the message here is that God is going to destroy the enemies of his people. And in ancient times, the enemies of his people were these unbelieving nations that you know, physically attacked Israel. So God's conquest of Israel's enemies is a gospel promise for Israel's eventual redemption, that Israel would be set free from these mortal enemies. And when we Christians read these chapters, we can think in terms of Christ's conquest of our enemies, sin, death, and the devil. So Christ has already fought the decisive battles against our sin, against the devil, and even death. And he has conquered them for us we would not be able to conquer them on our own. So he's achieved the victory for us, and then we share the benefits of his victory through faith in him. So that would bring us to the end of the oracles against the nations in Ezekiel chapter 32. There are, like I mentioned, some wonderful prophecies of the Messiah, the Christ, the new and good shepherd, the new David, in chapters 33 to 37. You also have in chapter 36 a marvelous prophecy of baptism, how God will pour out cleansing water on his people and give them a new heart and a new spirit, i.e. the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what God does in baptism. So then getting specifically to chapter 38 and following chapter 39. So these fit in the book basically toward the end of the church age, if I can put it that way. So redemption has already come in the Savior, and the people have been restored, chapter 37, the resurrection motif, 
then chapters 38 and 39 are basically an end time scenario that we can connect to the second coming of Christ. So many of the end time teachers do make that connection. They recognize that this is eschatological prophecy. It's about the last times. Again, we need to remember we are already in the last times. This is not necessarily talking about something that is exclusively in the future for us. These are things that have already started to happen. And the New Testament, too, does picture things getting worse. For example, Revelation 20, you have Satan's little season where toward the end, Satan is unchained and he's able to run around and cause all kinds of havoc among the nations and stir up war against God's people. So it is true that Scripture portrays things as getting worse toward the end of the church age before Christ returns, even though Scripture doesn't give us a detailed time frame of how exactly things are going to get worse in terms of geopolitical events. Now, getting more specific with Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel is told to prophecy about Gog and Magog, which is actually the land of Magog, and a Prince Meshech and Tubal. And these are going to be basically bad people in a, a bad nation that will come and attack God's people toward the end of the end times, but they'll be defeated in the end. So God's people will be saved. They'll just suffer attack. Now, a popular thing to do for end time teachers who, miscon I would say, misconstrue the scriptures, a popular way in which the scriptures often are misconstrued is to take things literalistically. So again, this, this would be taking metaphorical language and twisting it and insisting that it must be literal in a sense that the original author did not intend. So if you play around with these names, you can have a lot of fun. So the chief prince Meshech, well, hmm, what does that sound like? Meshech, could that be Moscow? Or Tubal, hmm, sounds a little bit like Tobolsk. Or Rosh, another name in there. Well, Rosh, maybe you could turn that into Russia. <laughs> so these are the sorts of, I would say, word associations which modern people can be tempted to make. And these specific misinterpretations that I just mentioned were popular, they were more popular in preceding decades when Russia or the Soviet Union was the great enemy of the United States. We were the two superpowers. So that lended support to the interpretation of these particular names in terms of Russia. Now Russia's, the Soviet Union's fallen apart and Russia is not so big of a threat. That is, I think, one reason why now we hear more about 
countries like Iran and Iraq as possible fulfillments of prophecy. Those are much more world powers, you know, Iran developing nuclear weapons and such. So that has changed the way some of these end-time teachers apply or interpret these prophecies. Dr. Christopher Mitchell is our guest. He's editor of the Concordia Commentary Series. We're talking about Bible prophecy and current events in Iran. When we come back, we will turn to Jeremiah 49. Lutheran Talk. We have an ecumenical responsibility to hold forth the scriptures and to bear witness to grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Lutheran Music. Listen anytime, anywhere in 2020 with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. The Simply Classical curriculum for special needs moves at my child's pace and gives her exactly what she needs. So writes Amber, a homeschooling mother who has joined thousands in homes and schools, teaching from this uniquely Christian classical approach to special education. Teach students with autism, learning disabilities, or Down syndrome based on ability level rather than chronological age. Use promo code LPR20 today at classicalspecialneeds.com. Classicalspecialneeds.com. Now that you have packed away the Christmas ornaments and Christmas for the season, it's time for some contemplation. Those Christmas are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam. The glitter has dropped off and they're being held together with toothpicks. Don't celebrate another Christmas hearkening back to the age of glitter balls. Enter the 2020s with Ad Crucem's beautifully designed and lovingly made Christmonds. We offer all the old designs and a whole lot of new ones. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start. The Foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes. Dedicated customer service and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House. Listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House. cph.org. Equipping the priesthood of all believers. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. Congregational Sponsor. Bethel Lutheran Thunder Bay, Ontario. Faith Lutheran Capistrano Beach, California. Grace Lutheran Racine, Wisconsin. Emmanuel Lutheran Kansas City, Missouri. Mount Calvary Lutheran Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Peace Lutheran Hastings, Nebraska. Risen Christ Lutheran Arvada, Colorado. St. John Lutheran Strongsville, Ohio. St. Peter Lutheran, Arlington, Wisconsin, and University Hills Lutheran, Denver, Colorado. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print the one-page flyer. 
When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are talking Bible prophecy and current events in Iran with Dr. Christopher Mitchell. He is editor of the Concordia Commentary Series and author of the Concordia Commentary on Song of Songs. He has a Ph.D. in Hebrew and Semitic Studies from the University of Wisconsin. Our annual Making the Case conference is Issues Etc. on Steroids. It's 16 hours of some of the best guest topics, and it includes three worship services and a hymn study. The 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case conference is Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th in Chicago. Early bird registration is $135 and includes three meals. Attendance is limited to 500. Learn more and register at issuesetc.org or give us a call 618-223-8385. Making the case June 12th and 13th at Concordia University in Chicago. Dr. Mitchell, the Washington Post story cites a popular Christian novelist, Joe Rosenberg. He says that Jeremiah 49 describes the destruction of a nation promises God's blessing specifically on the nation of Iran. Why is this wrong? I would stress the way in which Old Testament prophecies were intended to speak to God's people. So they are not specific geopolitical predictions of what will happen in certain countries so much as they are messages of law and gospel, that is, messages that elicit repentance from sin and then trust in Jesus Christ in a way that is far more comprehensive than any specific geographical country. So again, just to describe the big picture, the Old Testament prophets were inspired to use historical places and persons and countries as the pattern for their prophesying about the future, but their main concern is not any particular territory, any particular spot of real estate, piece of land on the earth. Their concern is repentance and faith and a big thrust of their prophetic messages that you certainly see in Jeremiah 49 is the expansion of the mission, not just to Israel, but to all nations of the earth. So the gospel is going to go out to the ends of the earth, as we have stated dramatically in the book of Acts where Jesus sends his disciples to the ends of the earth. So Jeremiah 49 consists of a number of oracles against particular nations. These nations were historical enemies of Old Testament Israel. So again, the message of God defeating them, of God executing judgment on these particular countries and city-states, was a message of gospel for his people, that God would defeat their enemies for them. But then an important part of Jeremiah 49 is that you also have mixed in there 
some promises of the restoration of these pagan historical enemies of Israel. So, for example, in verse 6, God promises to restore the Ammonites. And at the end of the chapter, verse 39, he promises to restore Elam. And these specific phrases, ESV translates this particular phrase, I will restore the fortunes. It's a Hebrew phrase, shuv shavut, that is a specifically gospel message. So to restore, it has partly to do with the idea of bringing people back from exile. But even more than that, it's the restoration of the people of God. So the promises here are that even these pagan enemies will be converted to faith and will be incorporated into God's people. So this is what we should connect with the mission to the Gentiles, the Christian mission to the Gentiles. And it's interesting that in modern times, these sorts of conversions are taking place. I know that a number of the refugees from Muslim countries that have been settled in Europe, for example, or Germany, have been brought to faith in Christ. So it, it's ironic that people who escaped from Muslim countries are then gathered into the people of God specifically by becoming members of Christian churches. So that is the way I would interpret a chapter of prophecy like Jeremiah 49. We're talking with Dr. Christopher Mitchell, editor of the Concordia Commentary Series about Bible prophecy and current events in Iran. We will turn to Daniel 5 right after the break. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we'll study Jesus anointed by Mary. The triumphal entry, Jesus' response to the Greeks who wanted to see him. Jesus fulfills the prophets, and Jesus shines his light in our darkness. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, as we continue our walk through St. John's Gospel on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. What is the Lutheran Witness? Simple. It's a monthly magazine on faith and life, theology and culture that helps readers interpret the contemporary world from a Lutheran Christian perspective. Filled with expert insights, good writing, and inspiring stories, it also provides essential church information for LCMS members. What is the Lutheran Witness? Simple. It's the flagship periodical of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and it has been for more than a century. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe today. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Hey, Todd, what have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. 
Whether it's our office or your home, the cleaning authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com. Thecleaningauthority.com. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7. LutheranPublicRadio.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking with Dr. Christopher Mitchell, editor of the Concordia Commentary Series about Bible prophecy and current events in Iran. Dr. Mitchell, the Washington Post story cites Charisma magazine in equating events recorded in Daniel chapter 5, the famous writing on the wall, with the current events in Iran. How would you correct that? I would point to Daniel as a great example of God working salvation in history for his people. So this is part of a historical record of how God did fulfill his promises of salvation for his Old Testament people. And this is not a specific prediction and much less a timetable for something that God is going to do in the future using nations. Rather, this is something that the church can appropriate as the story of our salvation in Christ. So again, all of this involves the distinction between church and state. And when you read biblical prophecy, you need to understand that in the church age, God's elect people does not consist in any particular nationality or ethnicity or geographic location. So God's church is universal, that is, it consists of all believers everywhere, regardless of our ethnic background, regardless of what countries we may live in, and so on. So Daniel 5 is an account about God's people in exile. So The people have been exiled to Babylon by the Babylonian Empire, the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC, and so on. This is a good analogy for the situation of the church today. We really live in exile. So we are exiles from our true promised land, which is not any particular geographic piece of real estate on this earth, Our true promised land is the life of the world to come, the Jerusalem from above, the new Jerusalem in which we will live forever in the new creation. So what happens in Daniel 5, the Judeans who are captive in Israel have been used by God to influence the Babylonian leaders. Daniel in particular had the privilege of interacting with the kings of Babylon. And he tried 
by God's grace to bring them to repentance and faith. There's an account of Nebuchadnezzar having been brought to repentance, which is quite remarkable. Now, Daniel 5 is about the next king, Belshazzar, and he, unfortunately, like Nebuchadnezzar earlier, became quite arrogant and was partying, living it up, thinking that God's judgment would never come to him. He had it made. He had his own particular gods and idols that he thought he could manipulate, and he didn't have to worry about the one true God of Israel. So he sees a vision, and the other people see this vision too, of a hand writing on the wall. It's not handwriting on the wall, but it is a hand writing on the wall. <laughs> and there's the famous message of judgment, which is given in Aramaic, mene, mene, tekel, ufarsin, which means measured or countered, measured or counted, weighed and divided. So it's a prophecy of the judgment that falls rather quickly on the kingdom of Babylon for its arrogance and for its idolatry. The country is weighed, judged, and broken up. That comes through the Persian Empire, Cyrus of Persia being the one who conquered the Babylonian Empire. And modern Iran is basically Persia. The Iranian people consider themselves to be Persians, and I think ethnically that is correct. So the Persians who attacked and conquered Babylon, fulfilling this biblical prophecy, are the ancestors of the modern Iranian people who are of Persian descent. But that does not mean that this is a prophecy that you are to apply politically to the nation of Iran as if Iran now needs to engage in warfare to fulfill this prophecy. The big thing about that era of history is that Cyrus, who then who conquered Babylon, then allowed the Israelites to return home. So they re returned back to Judah, rebuilt Jerusalem, and rebuilt the temple. Some evangelical supporters of President Donald Trump say that God chose him especially to lead the U.S. and sometimes even equating the U.S. with God's kingdom at this biblically significant time. Is there any biblical support for this idea? I think we have to be very careful here. So this is a subtext that lies under much of what we've already talked about in terms of end-time teachers, they assume kind of implicitly that America is a Christian country and that America, the United States, somehow represents the people of God, so that our role in world history is supposed to fulfill ancient prophecies about Israel. So you have to distinguish between church and state. So this also involves the distinction between law and gospel. 
That is, a state, a government, any government, primarily exists by force of law, and the government's job is to administer the law. Governments generally do not have the job of preaching the gospel. That's the church's job. So it would be incorrect to equate the United States with biblical Israel or with the people of God in the New Testament sense. The church transcends all boundaries of nationalities and political affiliations. Now, having said that, I do think we can say that in terms of modern history, there has been a great freedom to preach the gospel in the United States, and then this has also allowed churches based in the United States to have missions throughout the world, to proclaim the gospel in many places throughout the world. This does not mean that the U.S. is the church. I mean, quite far from it. We all know that polls that are taken show that a large number of people in America really are not Christians. And some who claim to be Christians really don't understand the gospel of salvation by grace alone in Christ. So it's wrong to equate us with the church, but we can say that we are in world history one of the countries that God has used in his grace to allow the gospel to be preached. And you could also say that about the British Empire, which, you know, has kind of fallen apart, and other world empires, the Roman Empire, in which the early church lived, first couple of centuries, first few centuries after Christ, that empire allowed the gospel to be proclaimed widely. And that sometimes came through persecution, that is, Christians were persecuted in some locations so that they fled and spread out and went to other places. So it's not just through having a peaceful or supportive government that the gospel is spread. The, the gospel often is spread most widely during times of persecution. With about 30 seconds, you're the editor of the Concordia Commentary Series. Tell us about that. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, for... The last 30 years I've served here at Concordia Publishing House as an editor, and we started the Concordia Commentary series officially in 1992. The idea is to get the best Lutheran Bible scholars in the world to write commentaries on biblical books. So this serves the proclamation of the gospel everywhere, all over the world. You know, a seminary professor may do a great job teaching his classes, and that benefits those students in those classes. Our goal is to get these professors to commit their interpretation to writing so that it can last throughout time. We hope these commentaries will last for generations to come, and they can also go all around the world. Find out more about the Concordia Commentary Series at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Dr. Christopher Mitchell is editor of the Concordia Commentary Series, author of the Concordia Commentary on Song of Songs. He has a PhD in Hebrew and Semitic Studies from the University of Wisconsin. 
Chris, thanks. Thank you for having me. In the next hour of Issues Etc., we'll hear an encore presentation of Looking Forward to Sunday Morning. According to the one-year lectionary, we'll be discussing Jesus healing a leper and the faith of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. Our guest will be Pastor David Peterson. The sum and substance of all biblical prophecy is the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't need to look to the headlines to see their fulfillment. We look to Scripture itself where Christ is revealed and see their fulfillment. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay with us. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, is happy to support the Christ-centered, cross-focused ministry of Issues Etc. Join us for worship, Bible classes, youth ministry, and other opportunities to grow in Christ. We have a Christian day school for children in preschool to eighth grade. We are located at 1300 Beltline Road. Call us at 618-344-3151 or visit www.goodshepherdcollinsville.org.